Welcome to Liberated Living Ministries with John and Beverly Sheesby. You are listening to the Seed to Seed message for June 2022. For more information on this podcast and other resources, please visit our website, liberatedliving.com. Grace to you and greetings to you again from Bixby, Oklahoma, where we are in a wonderful spring pattern of rain. Two nights ago, Bev and I were awakened by an amazing display of power as we had lightning and thunder. Our local meteorologist calculates that we had over 200 lightning strikes in that rainstorm. It was amazing. And, uh, well, it's going to rain in a little bit, and hopefully there won't be any thunder again. And then for the next three days, we are due to have rain. Well, it's been a while since I've been able to come up and share a word with you. Uh, April was a very busy month. We uh, went to Nashville and did two ShopFix Academy conferences in one week. And then we had 10 days off during which time Bev and I went down to Gulf Shores in Alabama and spent a week down there on the beach, which was just a wonderful time for us. We both love the beach so much and there's nothing more refreshing to us than walking on the beach early morning and late in the evening. And we were able to do that and had a a super time there together. And then we went up to Hogansville, Georgia, preached there Friday, Saturday and Sunday morning. And then Sunday afternoon, drove back up to Nashville for two more conferences and uh, then returned home. So that was a busy time. And then, and this is the exciting thing that I wanted to share with you. I started getting interest. I had a couple of emails, people wanting the book, The Birthright, in, in larger quantities. And I had to email and say, we, we just don't have them available. They're out of print. And one of those was a lady who was Terry Redman's assistant. And Terry Redman is heads up Improv. And they have a publishing arm. And uh, both Terry and the head writer, David Holland, have been impacted through the book, The Birthright. And they contacted me about publishing the birthright again. And so I traveled down to Dallas-Fort Worth and met with David Holland. We discussed the whole matter and, well, we have a signed agreement with Breakfast for Seven, B47, uh, and that comes from Jesus providing breakfast for the disciples on the seashore after his resurrection. Uh, B47 is going to be publishing my book free of charge. They're going to bear the costs of it. This is just absolutely a supernatural thing. And uh, David is a super, super guy. I've got to know him. Uh, In fact, next week I'll be doing a Zoom call with him. He has a blog that he does, uh, I think it's weekly, and he's just got a wonderful grasp of grace And so he would love to write with me. And that has been an encouragement to me because after my experience with publishers in the past, I'd become so disillusioned with the whole idea of publishing that I had sort of given up even on the writing. But now David would love to write with me. And so we'll see what the Lord produces out of that. Bev and I, as you can imagine, are extremely excited 
uh, for this open door and for the possibility of the birthright being reprinted and published. So that was the exciting thing. We went down to Dallas and we've been down twice this past month to Dallas-Fort Worth. And uh, so we've, it's, been a, it's been a fairly busy time. But uh, anyway, I've been meditating on the last message in the series on the generosity of grace now for some time. And I'm delighted to be able to share it with you. We're going to go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3. I'm going to read from verse 1. Oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly. And indeed, you do bear with me. For I am jealous for you with godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear lest somehow as the serpent begins, deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. That's how my translation has it, the simplicity. Some uh, translations adds a simple and pure devotion to Christ. Well, those words devotion are not in the original Greek at all. The word simplicity is the word uplotetes, which we've been looking at, and the word literally means no folds, no folds, no hidden agenda, no holding back, no uh, reservation. It's just a, a, a generosity of spirit. And I believe that it should be translated generosity. What Satan wants to deceive us from is believing in the generosity of God. And he has had a lot of assistance along the way to help him in deceiving the body of Christ into accepting poverty as the norm instead of believing that God's generosity in Christ in providing salvation, as he says in Romans 8, if he did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him freely give us all things. And so we want to continue in that theme, and I'm going to just reference a couple of passages where the word should be translated generosity. First of all, in Romans chapter 12 and verse 8, he says this in verse 6, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching. He who exhorts in exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. Now, all of this is qualified by when he says in verse 6, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Now he says in giving, he who gives with liberality. Same word, uplatetes. No folds, generosity. And obviously that is what God wants from us, is a generosity of spirit in the light of his generosity to us. And we've looked at that in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 5. Since he didn't spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Uh, Paul enjoins us in Ephesians 5 and verse 1. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Jesus gave of himself generously. He didn't hold anything back. And so we are enjoined by Paul there to 
do it with generosity according to the measure of the grace in proportion to the grace that has been given to us and then in 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 2 uh, these are verses we're going to look at more closely but I just want to show you the translation this verse 2 that in a great trial of affliction the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality or generosity it could not mean simplicity there it must be generosity or liberality and then in second corinthians 9 and verse 11 while you are enriched in everything for all liberality same word generosity which causes thanksgiving through us to god and then uh, verse 13 as well while through the proof of this ministry they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and all men. Generous. Generous sharing with you. Same word. And so I just want to establish that I believe that the word in Second Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3, because of Paul's usage in this book, should be translated generosity. And when you think of it, that's exactly what happened in the Garden of Eden. That's how Satan deceived Eve through his subtlety, because he came and he questioned the character of God, the word of God, the, the uh, intentions of God. Has God said, you shall not eat of any of the trees of the garden? I mean, God had never said anything about all the other trees, but he was casting doubt. He was throwing the doubt in. God is not a good God. He's withholding from you. He's not a generous God. He put you in this garden to work and to tend it, but he's withholding from you. That's the lie of the enemy. And that's exactly what he wants to sow in us. Uh, I woke the other morning with an old song that I used to sing and Bev used to sing as solos when we were younger. So send I you. And as I woke up and started singing that, so send I you, the next words, to labor unrewarded. And I said, that's not true. That is not true. That's not true. There's nowhere in the scripture that God says you are to labor unrewarded. He said to the disciples in Luke chapter 10, the laborer is worthy of his hire. And Paul writes in, in, in Titus and he says, be a steadfast, unmovable always abounding or I think it's Peter excuse me always abounding in the work of the Lord for you know that your labor is not in vain and the Bible clearly teaches Paul said that the, the law demands that you don't muzzle the ox that treads out the corn and Paul said was he talking about oxen or does he is it about people and so the the labor unrewarded and so I, I got up and I looked at all the words of that that song and I'm telling you they are so contrary to the truth of God's word and if you believe I, I got up and immediately I sat in my rocker and I began to break the curse of those words that I had sung and spoken over my life when Bev got up I shared with her and she just out loud we broke the curse of that there's nothing in the scripture that says you're supposed to labor unrewarded you see Satan wants to deceive us from the generosity that is in Christ Jesus. My, our minds he wants to corrupt. And there are so many lies that have been perpetrated on the body of Christ. 
because we have believed the, the lie that came in. I believe I was in the shower one day many years ago when I felt the Lord say to me, and this is based on what, what uh, Paul writes to Timothy. He says that in the last days, this is what would happen. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Hear that? Giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God or creation of God is good and nothing is to be refused. If it is received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer, nothing is to be refused. But honestly, you know, when uh, before God did a lot of healing in us uh, concerning the whole spirit of poverty that we had received, uh, you know, from the generations past. There were many times where God tried to bless us and we'd just give those blessings away because we didn't feel worthy. And so we didn't receive all the blessings. Why? Because, listen to this, the church received a doctrine of celibacy and at the same time poverty. So the highest form an expression of devotion to Christ uh, brought into the church was that you celibate, and that you poor. And those are vows that are, are taken in Roman Catholicism. A vow of celibacy and a, and a vow of poverty. Well, what does celibacy do? It robs you of fruitfulness. God said to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Well, celibacy is a lie. It's a deception. It's a doctrine of demons that comes against that blessing. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. It's a blessing. It's not a commandment. He wanted to bless us with fruitfulness. And in the same way, it says also that he commanding to abstain from foods, which God created to be received with thanksgiving. There's poverty. It's, it's, it's pushing aside the gifts of God to us. And so that is what he has done to many of us as believers. We have accepted, we have embraced poverty as being some high form of devotion to God. You know, we, we joke about it that my daddy was a preacher in the Baptist church. And there were so many jokes about, you know, the deacons saying, God, you keep him humble, we'll keep him poor like that was some mark of spirituality. And if anybody prospered in ministry, oh my word, people would have a fit about that. Uh, you know, they could prosper in business, but you couldn't prosper in ministry. How insane are the lies that the enemy has sold to us. And so, so many of people who have gone into ministry have just not been able to believe for abundance for themselves because of that lie of celibacy and poverty. So I want us to just move away from thinking of anything but the generosity of grace. Now, I, I'm going to you know, just read this verse to you because this we're going to end up with this verse and I wanted to get into your thinking right now. 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 8. 
And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. I challenge you to find a verse in the scriptures with more superlatives than that. Listen to that again. God is able to make how much grace? All grace abound toward you. That you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. Now, wouldn't you say that that's a generous grace? All grace abounding toward you, so that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, might abound, have an abundance for every good work. It's so interesting that the word uh, there for always, he uses the word punti twice, punti pantote, in other words, in every way always, in every way always, that you in every way always, having all sufficiency in all things. Does that sound like poverty? Does that sound like lack? Does that sound like God is withholding from us, that grace has been given to us to keep us in lack and in need and in poverty? Oh, we've got, to, we've got to allow the Holy Spirit to renew our minds with the truth of God's word so that those lies that we have accepted, we, we, we reject completely and break the curse of words that we have even spoken over ourselves and others have spoken over us and, and perhaps preachers have spoken over you, Bible teachers have spoken over you that have made you embrace lack as being part of your spirituality. It is not true because God is able to make all grace abound toward you. You see, it's grace. It's grace. It's grace. And just as much as his grace has abounded toward you in salvation and all that salvation brings, so his grace has abounded toward you in having always, at all times, a sufficiency in all things. That's the promise of the word. So, let's go back to First Corinthians, Second Corinthians, chapter eight, the first few verses. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God. Okay, so the subject is grace, and he's going to end this whole section in chapter nine and the last verse. And by their prayer for you, will long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And that's the gift of his grace. It's indescribable. How can you describe the fact that God to unworthy sinners through faith in Jesus and through faith in the finished work on the cross abounds toward us in a kind of grace that will affect in us what it affected in the Macedonian church. Listen to this. Moreover, brethren, who make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their generosity or liberality. Now, that's a supernatural verse. They were going through a great trial of affliction and they were in deep poverty. But in the midst of that, grace comes to them. And the word grace, charis, has the root of chara, which is joy. And so when you receive grace, 
you receive supernatural joy which releases you from anxiety and worry and fear in the area of finances in order to be generous and liberal. In a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. That is That goes against all sums. Two plus two equals four. But this is, you got two negatives and one positive, one positive which results in a massive positive. Great trial of affliction, deep poverty, but into the midst of it, God's grace comes, joy is released, and it overflows, abounds in the riches of their liberality. He says, for I bear them witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of ministering to the saints. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. So we urged Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. But as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. What grace is that? It's the supernatural grace to give in a way that it comes through grace alone. This is not according to your ability, not according to your earnings. It's according to the grace of God in you. And he tells us what the foundation of that grace is in verse 9 of that chapter. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. That's it. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. This is the central truth of the gospel, the substitutionary death of Jesus, that he took upon himself my sin so that I could become the righteousness of God in Christ. Paul has said that earlier in verse uh, chapter 5, and he said, he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Verse 21 of chapter 5, For he made him, in unison, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He became sin, so that we might be righteous. When did he become sin? On the cross. He took the sin of the world upon himself. He was not sinful. In the same way, there are preachers who taught that Jesus lived in poverty. No, he had women who sustained him. I mean, they had so much money that even Judas had to carry a sack of money. Uh, And so there was was no way that Jesus was poor. He didn't become poor in his life. He became poor when he became sin. And that was on the cross. He became sin. And on the cross, he took sin our stripes upon himself so that by his stripes we are healed he took sickness disease every all of that on himself so that we might have wholeness healing and wholeness walk in wholeness so his substitutionary death provides all of these blessings of his grace the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. That is a dirty word 
in many Christian circles, and it's not a dirty word. In fact, to deny the fact that God wants you rich is to deny the substitutionary death of Jesus. To ex- Just as much as you accept failure and sin as a part of your everyday life, that is a denial of the fact that God has declared you to be righteous. And as much as he's declared you to be righteous, he's declared you to be healed. And as much as he's declared you to be righteous and healed, he's declared you to be rich. Child of God, believe it, embrace it, receive it. Now, so many of us have been programmed for so long with lack and poverty that it takes a while for us to renew our minds with the truth of this. It took me forever, simply because I lived with so much unworthiness and then all the programming of what my parents taught me and the way that they lived and sacrificed and so I just embrace this as if you're going to serve the Lord you're going to be in lack you're going to be poor that's not true because he wants us to be rich that's what it says that you through his poverty might become rich oh well that's for heaven no it isn't It isn't. Righteousness is not reserved. You see, a lot of people have believed that right now in this this life, you'll never have victory and you'll, you'll always battle with sin. No, no. Jesus thoroughly dealt with the sin problem. And in the same way, he has thoroughly dealt with sickness and disease and he has dealt with poverty. Believe a child of God. Become convinced of the truth of God's word. All right. So let me say this to you. One of the key verses in this passage, or an important verse, I should say, is verse 12. For if there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has and not according to what he does not have. For if there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has and not according to what he does not have. There's been so much manipulation of God's people where unscrupulous preachers who are trying to raise money for their ministries or for another television ministry have challenged you to give beyond your ability, beyond your means, to make a commitment and to believe God for the provision of that. That is unbiblical. If the willingness is there, it is accepted according to what one has and not according to what he does not have. We, uh, many years ago, received a check from a lady from, uh, I won't even mention where, and the check bounced. And it was not for a great deal of money, that check, and so, we, you know, that was okay. But then, some months later, we received a check in the mail for $10,000 from this woman. With this little cryptic comment on a, on a, on a card, in the world's system, this check is hot. In the kingdom, it is not. (laughs) That is presumption. I called the lady and I said, Sister, this is wrong of you. You are writing hot checks. And I've quoted this verse to her. For if there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has and not according to what he does not have. See, she was trying to manipulate God through writing a a check, a large check for $10,000 to our ministry. But that's wrong. The gift is accepted according to what you have, not according to what you do not have. So that's really an important thing. God's not expecting you to go into debt in order to finance some building program at a church or to to give to a a ministry that is 
manipulating you with tear-jerking stories of, of people in great need and starving children and, and villages without water and so on. That is so ungodly for that manipulation to be taking place. Now, I want to go on into chapter 9. In verse 6 he says, But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. You'll remember that after the flood, God gave a promise to Noah, and he said, As long as the earth remains, summer and winter, night and day, springtime and harvest will remain in the earth. God made a covenant promise to Noah and to all of us that seed time and harvest is forever an established law of his kingdom. This predates the Abrahamic covenant. It predates the Mosaic law. It, and here Paul is pulling forward the, the principle and applying it in the area of giving. He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. That's just a truth of nature, uh, as well as in the spiritual realm. If you sow little seed, you'll get a smaller harvest. If you sow abundant seed, you'll get a larger harvest. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart. This is a heart matter. Not grudgingly. Or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. My biggest beef with the way tithing is so often taught in the church is this, that it is taught as an imperative. If you don't, God won't. In other words, you're under compulsion. You're under a command. And that is not what God wants. This is clear what Paul says. Not grudgingly or under compulsion. Many translations have it. For God loves a cheerful giver. You see, he wants you to begin to believe that his grace in you is real and that his grace is there to bring you into an abundance. And so as you believe that word, as you believe that grace, it's going to expand your faith to be a bountiful giver, believing that if you sow bountifully, you will reap also bountifully. And again, be careful of your, you know, your flesh being involved in this. This is as you purpose in your heart. This is a heart matter, a heart condition where the grace of God has so touched you and the joy of the Lord has been released in you so that a generosity of spirit, a generosity financially, a generosity in every area of your life has taken possession of you so that you love to give love to be a blessing. And so he says, God loves a cheerful giver. He wants you to be absolutely cheerful. And then comes the verse that I read to you. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things might abound, have an abundance for every good work. So this comes on the heels of God loves a cheerful giver. See, and then God is able to make all grace abound towards you. He wants you to be cheerful, not for you to give. Oh, well, if I don't give, God won't bless me. I can remember back in the 80s when God challenged me to stop tithing. And I had thought my motivation was faith in, in tithing. 
until he said, don't tithe anymore. And then all kinds of fear came upon me. Well, good God isn't going to bless me if I don't tithe. And, and what will the, the, the leaders at the church think if I don't tithe? I, I'm not validating my ministry through my giving if I don't tithe and so on. I mean, all kinds of fears came up. Fear of man, fear of, of lack, fear of poverty and so on. And God showed me that what had motivated my tithing was not a cheerful heart, but it was fear, the underlying motivation. God does not want us to give out of fear that if we don't give, he won't bless us. Because it's grace, people. It's unmerited favor. God is able to make all grace abound towards you. And that can go way beyond sowing and reaping into a superlative abundance in every good work. Don't look just at your sowing as though your sowing is the key to all of the financial blessing in your life. It is the grace of God to you that is the key to your blessing. He loves to lavish his goodness and his gifts on you and and to lavish his riches on you because Jesus took our poverty that you through his poverty might be made rich. Now, verse 10 is such an important verse of 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown or your seed for sowing and increase the fruits of your righteousness. This has been a verse that has been foundational to Bev and I in our married life. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing. God's multiplication side is on the seed side so that there can be multiplication on the bread side. So if you're in lack... You should be asking God as a grace gift for seed to sow because he supplies seed to the sower. And if sowing is a key to your bountifulness, then sowing is God's way to bring you into his gracious provision. Some of you have heard me tell the story years ago. We were in great lack. We hadn't paid our rent on the house. We were renting a house from a fellow evangelist. And we had to go on a trip on the weekend. In fact, we came up to Oklahoma, to Hominy, Oklahoma, to minister in a church here. And we had no money. We had nothing. So I was kneeling at my bedside, having my quiet time one morning. And I read these verses. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food and The Lord said to me, the next money that you receive is not bread for food. It is seed to be sown. Here's an important principle. When you receive anything from God's hand, all you have to do is by the Spirit ask God, what is seed and what is bread? And don't sow your bread and don't eat your seed. (laughs) Is that simple or is that simple? Don't eat your seed, but don't sow your bread. We have been guilty because of the poverty spirit in the past of sowing our bread. God was trying to bless us and because of our unworthiness and our poverty mentality, we gave away the blessings of God because we felt unworthy of it. Don't sow your bread, but don't eat your seed. 
And so God quickened this verse to me and I came out of the room and I said to Bev, Bev, God has just spoken to me through this. The next money that comes in is not bread for food. I know it would be wonderful if we could get some money for food because, as I'll tell you, we had virtually nothing. And for put gas in the car in order to drive up to Oklahoma on, on Saturday. But that was the word. So I said to Bev, the next money we get in. And this was Wednesday morning. So that night, Bev went with some friends to a, a fullness conference in Fort Worth. And one of the ladies who had, was, was driving in the car with her was a visitor from San Antonio, Texas. And as they walked into the auditorium, this lady came to Bev and said to her, you know, I was going to give you this money after the meeting, but the Holy Spirit told me to give it to you now. And she put a note in her hand and Bev took it, didn't look at it uh, and put it in her purse. And it came offering time in that, that meeting. And the Holy Spirit said to Bev, you have seed to sow. And she pulled it out and it was a hundred dollar bill. And it was so grievous to her because she thought, man, $100 could fill up our pantry and put gas in the car uh, and finance our going up to, to Hominy on the weekend. But she sowed it because of that word. He who supplies seed to the sower, the next money that you receive is not bread for food. It is seed to sow. And she sowed that $100. And she... as. When she came back from the meeting that night, she said to me, you'll never believe what I did. I said, well, what did you do? She said, I sowed $100 into the offering and I praise the Lord. I said, praise God. That means God wants to give us an abundant harvest because here we are in so much lack. And if he gave you $100 to sow, that means there's going to be an abundant harvest. So Friday morning. We're on our last bit of milk in the jug. We're our last bit of bread. The cupboards were bare. I'm talking bare. I mean, we didn't have canned goods. I, our cupboards were bare, a little bread and a little milk. <clears throat> and we were having our family devotions that morning. This is in the middle of summer. And Tracy said, I had a dream. She didn't know how to express it. It was a prophetic word that she had at that time. But she said, I had a dream. And in the dream, we received two checks for $1,000 each. And we began to praise the Lord for the $1,000. And after breakfast, I went out jogging. And when I came back to the house on Coffee Tavern Road in Bedford, Texas, Bev and Brad were standing outside near the mailbox and Bev was waving something in her hand. And when I came up, she told me this, that there was a brother at the church that we were attending, at the, uh, members of at the time. And the Lord had told him to give us a thousand dollars. And he said, okay, Lord, I'll do it on Sunday at Sunday school. And the Lord said, no, you take it to them this morning. And it was the church first check for a thousand dollars. Did we rejoice? <laughs> did we celebrate? God did, supplied the first check. We drove up to Harmony and, and from a small fellowship here we received a wonderfully generous offering. And then when we returned home after the weekend in our mailbox, in the mail was the second check for a thousand dollars. He supplies seed to the sower. Ask him for seed to sow. He wants to bring you into his grace 
of abundance and he does it through a grace of giving and he doesn't expect you to bring your own seed to the party he says i supply seed to the sower so believe me for seed ask me for seed that's my way of bringing you into my abundance is that you become a giver why is giving so important because it breaks off of you the fear of lack the fear of if i give this i'm going to go without i can't afford to do this he wants to break off of you those remnants of the poverty spirit that you become a cheerful giver so he says listen i'm underwriting this whole thing you don't have to bring anything to this party I am going to give you seed. Now, it might come through your earnings. It might come through your salary. But I believe we need to look beyond our earning power to God's giving power, to God's grace, God's generosity. Because eight, verse 8 says, God is able to make all grace abound toward you so that you always and again let me emphasize it's there's double in every way always in every way always might have sufficiency in all things that you may have an abundance for every good work that's god's grace at work so how does his grace abound toward you in seed that's what he goes on to say he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits, the harvest of your righteousness. Now listen to this verse. While you are enriched in everything for all generosity, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. Same word there, generosity. Uplotetes. No folds. No folds. Listen, so many of us get into so much trouble because we have these folds in our th thinking. Well, I'm not going to give to them. I, I mean, they'll squander it. They, they don't deserve it. Well, you know, I, I'll spoil my child if, I, if I'm too generous and all this kind of nonsense that comes from the curse of poverty. You need to be free to be able. You are enriched in everything unto toward all liberality which causes thanksgiving through us to God see God wants to give you seed to sow so that you can be enriched in all areas for more generosity wow what an amazing thing this generosity of grace is that God wants to give us freely 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 he's just waiting for us to receive this it's 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 an amazing thing no wonder paul ends the chapter in verse 14 and by their prayer for you who long for you because of the exceeding grace of god in you the word ex exceeding there is to go beyond and thanks be to god for his indescribable gift he wants to put such an exceeding grace on you supernatural exceeding grace that enables you even if you're going through a great tr trial of affliction and if you're in deep lack and deep poverty right now yet grace can be bestowed upon you so that supernatural joy arises in your heart to release in you the kind of giving that is called generous which is being like your father 
See, and Satan wants us to believe the lie that God is not generous, that Jesus is not generous, that his grace is not generous, that there's strings attached. There's always conditions to his promises. That's the lie that the enemy continually seduces God's people with. Second Corinthians eleven three. He seduced Eve through his subtlety. And so he wants to corrupt your minds from the generosity that is in Christ. I pray that the Spirit of God will take this message and all the messages that I've preached in the series on the generosity of grace and do a work in your heart so that you are released into what he describes there. That you will be enriched in everything for all liberality. (laughs) Enriched in everything, in every way, unto all generosity, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. Man, that's your destiny, child of God. That's the covenant with Abraham. God said to Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to bless you to be a blessing to all the families of the earth. And the sad thing is that so many of God's people have accepted lack as long as they have their individual needs met. I've said this before. I want to say it again. There's nothing as selfish as a poverty spirit, as poverty. Because you can't be a blessing if you cannot meet, you know, or you're just scraping by or just enough to meet your own needs and your family's need. We're to believe God for an abundance so that we can abound unto every good work so that there's no legitimate need that comes along that we're not able to minister to and meet the need of because of the abundance of God's grace toward us. Now, obviously, all of this is predicated on the bottom line of being led by the Spirit. We are led by the Spirit as sons of God. And as managers of God's resources, as stewards of God's abundance, it's imperative that we have the mind of the Spirit in distributing those resources, in blessing people, that we don't give manipulated by emotions. We don't give just simply manipulated by the need. If Jesus was manipulated by the need, he would have immediately, when he heard of Lazarus' sickness, gone rushing to them because Martha had received him so generously into her home. And he loved Mary who had sat at his feet and listened to his word. And he loved Lazarus. And when the need arose, he would have rushed immediately. But he listened to the Spirit of God and God said, don't go, son. We're not going to have a healing we're going to have a resurrection and so he waited three days before he went it's so important that you hear the spirit of God that you don't react simply by the need or by manipulation of somebody who comes with a sob story oh boy have I been manipulated in the past and the sad thing is that I know I've bargained with God I've bartered with God I've, I've said, God, if you will, I will. If you will, I will. And God's saying, no, 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 no. It's about grace. It's about grace. Grace is unmerited favor. It is you receiving the abundance of his grace, the gift of his righteousness, and operating from there as a, a son and a daughter of, of God, managers of his wealth. You see, please hear this. We are heirs of God, the Bible says, and we're joint heirs with Christ. We are heirs already. And as I bring out in the, my teaching on, on, in the book Son and in the birthright, 
the older brother in the story of the prodigal son, he didn't understand that everything that the father had belonged to him, but he couldn't enjoy it because he had a servant mentality, because he was waiting for a reward. And God, that's not the way the father works. The father works with generous grace. Many are offended by his generosity to the young son. He knew the young son was going to blow that inheritance. Why on earth didn't he just beat him up and tell him to you get back into your room and you stay there? Why did he let him go? That's because because the father has such a generous heart he cannot help himself and that's your dna you to be a blessing to all the families of the earth so i want you today to just hear this word and embrace this assignment and listen to this message again listen study these verses Study this truth till it gets deep in your spirit and you get released from the fear of lack and the fear of poverty and your mind gets renewed to the truth that this all comes from God and his grace toward you, which is yours freely given in Christ, that as much as he became sin, that you might be made the righteousness of God in him, not will become the righteousness of God when you get to heaven, that you're the righteousness of God now. In the same way, he took our poverty that you through his poverty might be made rich. You need to look at yourself in the mirror and say, I am rich. I am so rich that I can abound unto every good work because that's what God's grace does in me and start receiving that grace. Father, I want to thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you, God, for your generosity that is revealed in the grace that you give to us. First of all, in giving us your only begotten son to come into this world and to reveal your nature to us, and ultimately to die on the cross in fulfillment of the law, so that we could be adopted as your sons and daughters. You are no longer servants, you are sons. And if you are sons and children, then you are heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. That doesn't mean we're going to be heirs one day when we get to heaven. It means that we are heirs now of all the resources. This earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and it belongs to us as heirs. God, give us a vision to embrace the greatness of your grace to us and also our calling, our covenant calling as the seed of Abraham to be a blessing to all the families of the earth. Again, God, I affirm that for Beverly and I and for our offspring, for our family, we embrace our assignment to bless all the families of the earth. And we thank you for the abundance of your resources to us so that we can be a blessing. We thank you, Lord. We bless you. We rejoice in your goodness to us. Hallelujah. Amen. This is the conclusion of this message. You've been listening to the ministry of John and Beverly Sheesby. For more information on this and other available teachings, please visit our website at www.liberatedliving.com. God bless you and thank you for listening.